You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate Thomas and Micah Winstead. Hello. <laughs> that was an interesting way to introduce yourself. <laughs> I got to mix it up every time because I'm pretty sure every other time I'm like, hey, how's How it going? How you doing, buddy? How yeah. you doing, buddy? How's it going? Or whatever. So yeah. yeah, had to mix it up a little bit. Yep. We are sitting in my basement on a Monday night. Rainy. It's been raining for two straight days. I know. My backyard looks like a river. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't blood. shouldn't be a river. <laughs> <laughs> it has a drainage creek, we'll say, going through it. I think you call it, don't they call those dry creeks or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like when it's not wet out, it's dry. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I get I catch all the rain north of me, and it all funnels through my backyard. The kids like it because they can go out there and play a little bit and stuff. So it's fun for them. Yeah. Literally, my son Lawson was out there uh, in nothing but a t-shirt, running around half naked. Yep. You know, playing in. Sounds about right for him. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. accurate. <laughs> so. Today's episode, we, damn it, we have got a good one. Uh, I knew I'd say it. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts when it comes to management. Yes. As far as land. and there, I mean, it's, you know, land and legacy. Some would even say land management. Yes, land management. Yeah. You know, and they do an an extremely good job of breaking everything down, what you need to do and all that. And they're very good at what they do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So to be clear, we're having, we have, uh, Adam on with land and legacy today. Mm -hmm. And, um, honestly, I could see this being a show, just the beginning of a show I'd want to do with them because we get into all kinds of really cool stuff, but really what the, the main premise of today's show with the, with him is is to kind of talk about that transition from just being a hunter, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. When I say just being a hunter, that kind of yeah. sounds bad. That transition from being a hunter to someone who wants to manage land yeah. for deer, turkey. Quail, he talks about upland whatever. birds quite a bit in there. Whatever. Um, that's kind of what we talk about. And then he gives some, some tips to some of – 
you know, someone who was just wanting to kind of get in? What are some realistic goals um, for people? What should you start with? That sort of thing. So, I mean, and if you really want to get deep into the weeds on what you should do, you definitely need to go. If you more than likely, if you're listening to us, you've already heard of them and we've mentioned that in the show, but you definitely want to listen to them. If you're thinking about doing any type of land management on your property or the property that you have access to, because they are one of the top ones. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And yeah, it's a, it's a really good episode for someone who's on the fit. I mean, honestly, like you and I are, Mm-hmm. We're kind of guys that are, we want to be land managers, but we don't know really what we're doing. We're, so we just go and do shit just to do it. And then yeah. half the time we're wrong and, you know, we don't get that food plot to work or we, or that's know, all we're thinking about that's is all, food. Yeah, exactly I mean, right. I know the deer got a bed somewhere and stuff and oh, the places, and to be fair, the places I do hunt, I do see a big quantity of deer all the time anyways so it's hard for me to put in that extra effort and work because it is it's a lot of work it takes a lot yeah. of weekends to get out there and do the things that you know adam's suggesting so but it's going to make your experience even greater yeah it, for your property I mean, if you think about it dude like he says in the show you got two hours to go out and work you might could get a food plot started you know, or whatever, depends on how bad the area is that you're right, trying to get what going. You're doing, but or you spend two hours, take your chainsaw out and start doing what he talks about in the show. Yeah. And it make a, and, you, and he says you can see results that night. Immediately. Yeah, yeah. immediately. Yeah. So that's huge. You know, because that's what you want. You want to see the results. If you're doing this and you're not seeing results, then you're not, you're either, A, you're doing something wrong or you you're just doing something wrong. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, but fool me once. <laughs> I think it would. What is it, George W. Bush on that uh, that Saturday Night Live skit? He's like, fool me once, shame on shame on me. Fool me twice, wait, wait, wait you can't fool me twice. <laughs> anyways, I don't even know where I was at. No, I don't I either. Totally, I totally lost my train of thought. But anyways, give it's the a show, good show. Yeah, it's a good show. Give it a listen. Go give those guys a listen as well. And also, if you guys are looking into the market, maybe doing some changing out your camo this year, we do. Uh, we partnered up with Huntworth. Uh, if you guys would like, uh, you can get ten percent or fifteen percent off. Fifteen percent off. Yeah, fifteen yep. percent off. You go in there, and in the code, you're going to put in M W W one five. So that's the letters M W W one five, and you get fifteen percent off Huntworth's gear, yeah. which is already affordable yeah so. it's it's definitely it's a it's affordable gear and it's high quality from yeah. the experience that i have with it so far i, I really enjoy it yeah and i like it yeah so check them out that's our sponsor for today's show and uh micah let's let's just get on into this episode with adam keith with land and legacy ready let's do it this is the missouri woods and water podcast All right, with us today is our friend Adam Keith with Land and Legacy. Adam, how's it going, bud? Going well, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, at least finally glad to be here. We're starting about 20 minutes late. We were uh, having some fun talks before we recorded, and uh, Micah and I have started uh, trying these Zoom calls with our guests that we can't be face-to-face with, 
and we really enjoy it because we, you know, we're seeing Adam right now. He's seeing us and, um, it's, you know, it's more personal that way. Well, Adam, Adam and I were kind of talking about how I have it all set up. And so I unplugged a cord 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, I figured out how to, how to get to work again. Yeah. So we, we don't, we never boast about being technologically savvy. That's for sure. Yeah. On this show. Um, but thanks for coming on today. Before we get in, um, most everybody listening to our show should know who you are. Uh, you're a fellow Sportsman's Nation Network podcast. But um, why don't you just introduce the listener to yourself and tell, tell them a little bit about Land and Legacy. Sure thing. Yeah. So uh, Land and Legacy is a natural resource consulting firm, uh, typically working with recreational landowners across the country. My business partner, Matt Dye and I, we started it in 2016, launched 2017, and we have been consulting now uh, from New York uh, to Texas and way down in Florida to way up in uh, North Dakota, Minnesota. Um, We've covered pretty well every state in between, so about 30 states, and uh, we basically just assist landowners and trying to understand their goals, whether it's bigger deer, more deer, healthier deer herd, uh, more turkeys, more quail, or incorporating cattle. Those are uh, kind of the big ones. And understanding their goals, understanding their budgets, and trying to reach their goals while spending the least amount of dollars possible and getting the quickest turnaround. Um, and, you know, growing up with, uh, with a family farm and managing it um, with very low budget. I think it kind of helped us fine tune and say, this works for us and it doesn't cost us a bunch. Um, unfortunately, I guess, uh, the outdoor industry has really kind of led us into a product endorsed land management system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oftentimes that drags us astray from true results. And so we really, our business focuses on the principles of quality and healthy landscapes and how to disturb them, um, to a point of being very productive um, and and being overall a healthier landscape for all game and non-game animals. So that's what we do day to day. We're working with landowners. I leave here next week for New York and uh, Iowa at the end of this week. So we're with the landowner almost every week from January till August. Nice. And and you are down south, southern Missouri. Uh, so once sure. again, you know, our, our podcast is Missouri-based mm-hmm. for the most part and – you know, we love the Missouri guys, and you're down in southern Missouri. Um, now, you, I can't remember. I think it's Matt that's not from here. Uh, yeah. But you were born and raised here? Is yeah, I'm born and raised Ozarkian. That's Massive, what I thought. Virginia boy. Um, so and, what is yeah. your favorite thing about Missouri and its outdoors since you have lived here your whole life? Uh, I'm partial to the Ozarks. Uh, I mean, I love the, I love the prairies. I love the natural landscapes of Missouri, but the Ozarks and the glades and the woodlands mm-hmm. uh, and the crystal clear creek. So if you were to ask me one of my, my favorite spot on the whole state, it's got to be my family farm, but a place outside of my state or outside of my farm would be, I almost hesitate to say this because the cat might get out of the bag, but <laughs> big piney river, um, big piney river and their big bluffs and smallmouth fishing goggle eye. That's probably my favorite place outside of, douglas county where uh my family farms at nice yeah that that's a it's an interesting question to ask for people who like uh the lady with um missouri department of conservation we had on 
a few yeah. weeks ago has only lived here for a few years. And, yeah. you know, then you got people like you have born and raised here. And it, it it's interesting that the question, the answer is always pretty similar, uh, except for yours. You know, what I love about the state is, I mean, you can drive an hour. Hell, you can drive 30 minutes and be in a different landscape than you were half an hour before that. Oh, and, totally. You know, you get, you get like five different states in one state. That's what I think That's is, right. is really cool about our state. Yeah, and I should re-answer and say my favorite place for the for the guys that want to go see it is Taney Como and Branson. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, now my dad's going to be mad because he loves fly fishing at Taney Como. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think there's any big secret on No, that's, that's true. You could make a good point. Well, uh, today we're kind of, we had you on to talk about, you and I spoke a few months ago and we, we talked about that transition, transition of that, that person that is a hunter and maybe they've been a hunter for many years and they finally decide, I don't want to be a hunter anymore, just a hunter. I want to be somebody who is also a manager of the land. And that yeah. transition from being someone who just wants to kill stuff to wants to someone who wants stuff to thrive so that then they can kill it. You know, it's an interesting kind of paradox there, but um Yeah, I, I thought think that would be kind of cool to talk about it. What that transition looks like for a lot of people and what was it like for you? I'm sure you didn't grow up right off the bat being somebody no. who, you know, wanted to give them a good bedroom just to go kill them in it. Yeah, what was no, it like for you growing up? Yeah, I think I was typical, like a lot of guys, a lot of young kids. Um, you go through those cycles where, you know, you're hesitant at the beginning to to harvest an animal because you're so young, um, and then you have really a, a lack of respect. It's just kind of go shoot something. And then you probably live the teenage years just trying to fill tags. You're bloodthirsty. You're just like, let's, let's kill them all. Yeah. And How many tags I'm mad at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just, let's go kill them. And then at some point, you know, I think for a lot of guys like our, probably our father's age that you, then there's that put food on the table. And then later on in life, when there's a lot more gray hair than there is brown or black hair, you transition into that conservation side where it's like, I want to ensure that there's this sustainable resource for my grandkids or my kids. Uh, and I think that happens with a lot of guys. And some people listening may think that, oh, that's not, not, that's not me. And it may just be that they haven't reached that stage yet of, of wisdom or, or conservation mindset um, where they're thinking about their kids or their grandkids um, having that ability to, to harvest an animal or to even just see an animal. Um, and so for me, uh, I started out really just, I, I, as a young kid, when Missouri, when I was a young kid, you couldn't hunt in Missouri till you were 12 years old. And so up until that point, I really wasn't that interested in hunting, uh, more interested in four wheelers and tractors and stuff. And then at some point I got, uh, started hunting right when I turned 12 and I got hooked on it and I lived the teenage years going, man, this is fun. We're hunting like crazy. <laughs> let's shoot, you know, it's, it's crow season. Let's go shoot crows. It's, it's, uh, it's turkey season. Let's shoot turkeys. Let's fill our limits. Let's just kill, 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 kill. And, uh, at some point in my upper later teenage years, um, I stopped quail hunting for the sake of the fact that there were no more quail. And 
it was that really that kind of spurred the this is this is kind of awful uh mm-hmm. when i was 12 to 15 it was a lot of fun chasing quail um in fact it was probably my favorite sport to to, to do favorite hunting and and uh when i hit about 20 uh it was kind of like i was in college and i just remember thinking man that 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 the future of quail hunting is pretty pitiful and this isn't fun let's see what we can do for the quail and then as you got a little older and late 20s it was like man a lot of people are talking about the decline of the turkey and it's kind of like man and then now the grassland birds are declining it just seems like everybody starts talking about the decline of whatever species it is that they're interested in uh, whether it be monarch butterflies, they're declining. CWD is threatening the white-tailed deer. Um, I mean, outside of feral, feral hogs and <laughs> and bear, I'm not real sure there's a and and you know coyotes and other predators. I'm not real sure there's a whole lot of yippee. This is awesome. The population's doing really well, and I think it's kind of fast forward the natural cycle of a of a of a guy like myself where I'm much more focused on conservation management now than I, than I, than a guy's generation before me because they weren't as threatened back then. So, um, that's mine. And, and kind of, it's a whole cycle that I think a lot of people go through and we can talk about kind of the breakdown of what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, my, I don't know about you, Micah, but mine's sort of similar, not as much as Adam, because I didn't grow up hunting. I, I didn't, yeah. Honestly, I didn't even know what hunting was probably until I was almost out of high school. I just, I never really grew up around it. So for me, it was asking those questions. Once I became a hunter, I went through that, that transition to where uh, I'm going to kill stuff a lot because I want to get better at it. And then yeah. I started asking questions to myself. Why, why do those bucks or why do those deer not want to be here? And why do they want to be over there right now? And yeah. Is there a reason why they've done why they've chosen to be there and not here? And what can I do to get them over to here? To get them to to like this better. Um yeah. which I'm not very good at. We'll get to that later, but um <laughs> you know, I, it, for me it was those questions of why? Why do they want to be here? Why are there not turkey here? Why are there certain animals here and not there? That was I think more for me is that that first question of I think I'm still kind of in that early transition, that early period of my hunting career, honestly, even though I've been doing it for a while now, but I'm still kind of in the, what do you call that? The, the honeymoon stage. Like every time I kill something, it's hell yeah. Like, you know, I think everybody's still yeah. like that. Well, but, I mean, hopefully everybody's <laughs> right. like that, but I get what you're saying. You, but I would think that you've kind of had a, you, your process is sped up compared to like a lot of ours mine like his growing up kill everything you can get your limits and then now you know i'm getting to the point where i just want to manage i want to i'm going to let that deer go another year or two before i harvest him and start putting in the work to you know farms and things like that so and you've kind of already started that and you've only been hunting I mean, probably not half as long as we have. And I think that's because, and Adam, you can talk about like these phases people go through, like you were saying, because I think for me, I was put into a phase just because of the people I'm around. When I started hunting, I started hunting with him and Andy and Russell 
and all the people totally. I hunt with, and they all were sort of already in that stage where they wanted to manage for, um, you know, more mature bucks, and they wanted to manage yep. for better doe populations and healthier does. So they might not kill a doe just to kill a doe one year if they didn't feel like they had a a great pop, you know, a great number of does in a certain area or whatever. And so Absolutely. I think I was kind of indoctrinated because of the people I was around. Yeah, you, you skipped know. the the teenage kill years. And I, I always think of, like, when you read the stories of Teddy Roosevelt when he went over to Africa and it was kind of like, we're going to get these animals to put in, like, to observe them and kind of look at them and, and mount them so we can study them. It's kind of like, what's that? Let's shoot it. And <laughs> as a kid, I remember... One time, my father, I shot a chipmunk because I never got to see a chipmunk up close. And hopefully, I don't incriminate myself with that story. <laughs> um, and because he had his cheeks puffed up, and I was like, I want to see what he's eating. And so, what does a 12 year old do? He shoots it to look at it. My mm-hmm. dad's like, What are you doing shooting that thing? How dare you? Like, what are you doing? Are we going to eat it now? Like, he had, he was so offended by that. And uh, I it was like, Whoa, I'm not doing that again. But I got to see it. I got to know what it was doing and what what it was eating. It was kind of like, oh, that's really cool. Um, and you and you you pretty much are, you know. Even the Bible talks about you're kind of a, a product of of the people around you, and you can be easily influenced. And so, if you jump into hunting and all your buddies are already years ahead and they're already starting to think of management mindset, you pretty much become a management uh, management mindset guy. So. You know, uh, it kind of depends on who the people are around you and how they're influencing you. And, yeah. and, uh, thank God you guys I, are I a enjoy... bunch of poachers. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. <laughs> I think, I think there's a, you can kind of take that cycle or that period of time where you're a manager and you can put it into two phases and it's the, I'm going to manage so I can kill the biggest deer and then I'm going to manage so I can have some other people enjoy this. And I'm kind of right on that line. Um, I, I really enjoy like, because it's part of our business or it's a big part of our business is we own farms and it's like, we got to ensure that we can make these farms something that people can look at and say, wow, those guys really know what they're doing when it comes to managing land. But then the other side of me is like, you know, I've shot a pile of turkeys in my life. And this person, like I took a guy the last week of season, he's only ever killed one. And I called that one in for him too. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to shoot one bird this year. You're going to shoot one bird this year, but instead of me trying to kill both my tags. Yeah. So, yeah. And I honestly don't know where I'm at when it comes to that, because there's times where, <laughs> uh, I, I am selfish and I, I want to hoard it, hoard it all, I guess you'd say. And I want to, I want to be the one that kills the big deer, but, and yeah. it, but then, you know, my buddy does it or, or, somebody else does it and I'm excited for them. And, um, you know, you, you get torn. You were telling that story about the chipmunk when you were a kid. I've got a, I've got a similar situation going on in my life right now with my, my 10 year old son an eight year old son. Uh, they, they just really learned how to start shooting and I trust them both with a BB gun to, to be out on their own outside plinking and doing things. And, they both really want to shoot birds. You know, these, yeah. these, whatever. whatever these birds are <laughs> that, you know, no, no birds you're not supposed to shoot, but, and <laughs> I don't like it as a, as yeah. a person because it's a wasteful thing to do. If yeah. they shoot a bird, it's not like we're going to do anything with that bird. And yeah. then, you know, uh, 
So my son shot, my eight-year-old son shot his first bird a few weeks ago. And I told him, that's awesome, buddy. Good job. But I don't want you doing that anymore. And here's why. And this might be a little weak on my part. I don't know if, you know, people are going to be laughing. But I just, I'm like, hey, that bird wouldn't do anything to anybody. And, you know, you're not going to utilize him in any way, shape, or form. So it's kind of wasteful to shoot him, don't you think? Well, I guess so. I guess you're right, Daddy. But... Um, and it's the same way I, I, you know, that's a kind of a wasted resource, I guess you'd say where, uh, totally. now if it was a coyote running through the field and he said, I'm going to shoot that coyote, I go ahead, <laughs> but, uh, Have at it. you know, that's yeah. maybe a little different, but, um, so when that person starts right at the beginning of that, that career, you know, they're out of that killing stage, I guess you'd call it right. That yeah honeymoon stage. Is that what you called it, Micah? I think you call I've it always called it the bloodthirst stage. The bloodthirst, yeah. man, that sounds funner. Yeah. The bloodthirst yeah, stage. Sounds a little more serious, really. It doesn't matter what it is. You just want to make stuff bleed. Die. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of in that mindset of like, I have, I rule the roost. Like, I'm kind of, my, testosterone's pumping. So you kind of feel like the baddest man around if you're just stacking things up. I, I will say that does feel good when you do it. Like, when you... <laughs> When you tag out or whatever for the year and, you know, you totally. can be like, yeah, I tagged out because I'm awesome. But <laughs> and social, media, social media has really driven that even more where you can make that tagged out post. Yeah. 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 Don't as get lo- me started on that. Yeah. As long as it's not, you know, a fork horn or something like that. Everybody's giving people crap nowadays about what they're shooting too, mm-hmm. which I'm you not a huge fan I mean, of. Social media is wrecking havoc on the outdoor industry from the standpoint of like i hunt over decoys let's just use turkey season Mm -hmm. i hunt over decoys well fooey on you well i shoot tss and i shot a bird at 70 yards oh i can't believe you do such a thing oh look at him he's wearing western camo and you you know when you're chasing turkeys you got to be hunting in bottomland or real tree and and then oh you're reaping well can't you call him and then crawl them, not call them and all that stuff. It's just like, man, you can't look in the world of social media right now and, and yeah. see <laughs> and not see an argument about no. the purity of turkey hunting. You shoot a crossbow. You shoot yeah. a compound. You yeah. are, That's I mean, another big one. yeah, all these yeah. things. That it, you're I, shooting single bevel fixed blades. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. And, and you're still shooting two bladed rages. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we, ha- so this episode hasn't aired yet, but we talk about, all of our broadhead setups in this this BS session that we had last week, and mm-hmm. all of us are starting to branch out and to get into different broadheads. I think Mike is going to try this Thorn Crown broadhead next year, and I'm going to spend half of my inheritance on Iron Wheels, and Andy's <laughs> might be going back to Rages, and I mean, all of us are like going all these different directions with broadheads this year, and it's kind of yeah. funny because we all started basically shooting the exact same thing. Yeah. And you know, yeah. it's almost like we're bored and we want to just tinker. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's watching, spending too much time on YouTube. That's what apparently, that's yeah. What yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you so I can chime in on on mine. I'm going to be shooting the same broadhead I've shot the last. Well, it's basically the same thing I've shot since '07. Before Rage came out, it was a Rocky Mountain Sniper, and I was shooting Rocky Mountain Snipers. And then Rage came out, and I've shot Rages. And I, a little bit of time, I shot a two blade expandable, three blade expandable from G5, um, for other, for 
uh, product reasons, product endorsement reasons, but now we shoot whatever we want. Now we shoot shooting ranges. And I have that comment, that conversation with so many guys. And they're like, what are you shooting? I'm like, same thing I've always shoot. Don't change it because yeah. it's, it's never really given, it's never failed me too much. So, so remember we talked about going down rabbit holes in this show. So we're definitely, oh, yeah. we're definitely going down one right now, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Do you ever go out West and help hunt elk or anything? I've been twice on filming. Uh, I was cameraman. Gotcha. I, I was, don't know if it was called elk hunting, but more like a week of like walking. walking around. Yeah, wandering. That's what we do pretty much. Yeah, we go expensive camping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's like that's one of the reasons I've shot a fixed blade since I've started elk hunting. Okay, is yeah. I don't want to. Ha- I'm just a very anal person, and I can't have a whitetail setup and then like an elk setup. I have to. Like, they have to be the same thing. It's weird for me. So I've shot a fixed blade, um, which we were shooting all slick tricks, essentially, at the same time. And Mm -hmm. long story short, we have no endorsements with uh, broadhead companies either. And so while my slick tricks always flew good, anytime I kill an animal, I was lucky that it dropped in sight because there was no blood, you know, even on pass-throughs or whatever, and I'm... Yeah, and, and I'm like, you know, that's weird. And I finally had a deer last year that didn't die on in sight, and it was the same situation. No blood. Thank God it died not too far out of sight the next morning when I picked it up, or you know, who knows. So I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Next we got to change something up. <laughs> yeah, and we've and yeah. we all kind of had that experience with them too. You know, nothing against slick tricks. I'm, yeah, I, it's great. just probably us. I mean, yeah. it's only, what, three or four different experiences? Right. So you can't really say that's a uh, uh, quantifiable, like, study or anything. But through your own personal experiences, you gain your own little set of knowledge that may or may not be perfect. But uh, and, and that little knowledge shapes what's going on between your ears at the moment of truth. Yeah, And whatever it is, that's where I'm like, so previously to Land of Legacy, I spent a lot of time filming for various people, a couple different uh, uh, shows in the outdoor realm. And I went from following different people and filming different people. And and there were guys who were adamant fixed blades and guys who were adamant two blade expandables. And there was a pattern that I noticed and it could have been the people using them, but the pattern was like, I mean, kicking and screaming you'd have to drag me to shoot a fixed blade. And it's so ingrained in my head that I, I couldn't shoot one with a hundred percent confidence. Like I can with, with my rage. Um, and I shoot them and I typically tend to hit a little far back. It's just the way I always have been. I've always been a double lung or a single lung liver guy. I hit a lot of livers and it's like, well, I'm going to give them a few hours and it's fine. Don't ever get too excited to go down and get my hands on them right after, uh, right after the shot. Give them plenty of time. I've never had issues, and knock on wood. I mean, that is, I'm saying some very dangerous things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I and I wounded a buck last year, but I don't. I'm like, even even a fixed blade wouldn't have killed that deer. It was the total reaction. Forty three yards. He ducked. I hit him high shoulder. Yeah. I, it wouldn't have the way he was going. It wouldn't kill him anyway. And uh, so I. That's why I'm like. Yeah. Now, if I go west, I'll shoot a fixed blade. Guarantee it. Right. Like I, I just can't fathom a, a a little bitty two blade going through elk ribs. But that's a different animal. It's possible, I guess. But oh, I'm sure yeah. people do it. 
Yeah, and there's another yeah. fight people get into on social media is fixed blade versus mechanical. It's just like yeah. uh, we've always said on our show, I'm not paying for your tag or your equipment, so why should I have any opinion as to what you do with it? As long as you're doing it legally, uh, yeah. I have, you know, I shouldn't say shit about what it is you're doing. Right. And uh, yeah. that's that's what that's what's funny to me on the social media side is uh, that's you know, society today in general is like you have to have the same opinion as me. And well, you're until wrong. Until that happens, <laughs> we're yeah. And so yeah, and I think that's some of you know you want to bring it back. Um, that's some of the big conflict I'm seeing in the world of hunting and and conservation right now is there's there's a major division in the fact of where we go from here. Um, especially white, uh, wild Turkey right now is, is yeah. a big topic. You know, you guys, Missouri boys, we know what happened in 2021. Um, we know the issues. Uh, I, I, uh, I think I missed the point. Um, cause I was driving through a spot. You want to talk about Missouri. I, I drove a highway this past weekend on a consult. That's the one major highway that I've never driven in Missouri. I think I've covered everything else in all my, in my years of work, uh, consulting, but drove through zero cell service or podcast service for two hours. And I think I cut out, but did she have to say how many, uh, Turkey tags were sold in 2021? No, she didn't. We didn't. I didn't okay. ask her that. So I got the numbers, and it was just under ten percent drop from twenty twenty one from twenty twenty. So there was, you know, a pretty significant drop. I don't think it's enough to justify the the fall of the wild turkey and yeah. what happened. Um, but that's a big thing. I mean, we can't even get on board with why the turkeys are declining. Uh, it's yeah. predators. It's loss of people hunting. I don't know. It's it's we've got a long. It's a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, and everybody's got an opinion. I've got my own. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, my opinion is they're an animal that when they're eggs and their first month of life is really freaking easy to kill. Yeah. And, you know, you add an exponential number of growing predator populations, um, whether it's coons or possums or do armadillos eat, by the way? They, they have found armadillos. They have far found armadillos. Someone said that, and we don't have it's not them. like they're seeking them out, but opportunistic. Yeah. Right? Anyway, yeah, we uh, don't have them this far north. Yeah, yet. we don't have them here yet. But uh, no kidding, not yet. We I there's been a some few. mine if you want them. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. you can keep them. Um, yeah, you know, you have this growing number of predator populations. I mean, look at the coyote; it's as healthy as it's ever been, and the raccoons, and I mean. you know, and uh, it's such an easy animal to kill when it's tiny or not alive. <laughs> And then tiny. Um, yeah. Well, look at the landscape changes. I'll point yeah. it back to habitat and I always will. Um, I mean, regardless of the increase of predators, we haven't given them a place to hide. Right. Uh, we've turned our landscape from a very productive prey species with very diverse, lots of prairie, lots of old field, lots of fence rows that have been cut and more of a shrubby component sapling component because we were cutting fence posts out of the trees that were growing up in the fence line and now everything's grown up our forests are overstocked um our fields are either cut for hay or overgrazed there's not much native prairie we're missing that mid-level uh habitat and yeah. that's where we need nesting and then if fires included that's where our brood rearing habitat comes from and i've heard so much talk about 
what do we need to do for the wild turkey? And it's like, uh, we need to knock it down to one Tom, or we need to knock it down to two weeks, or we need to remove the fall season. All that is just affecting the adult birds. So if all we did was knock it down to one, one Tom in the spring, two weeks instead of three, and then we remove the fall season, all we're really doing is ensuring that a decent amount of adult Toms wouldn't get killed. That doesn't that year. That, the yeah. factory of producing them is the problem. It's just like I, I use the analogy on our podcast is if you've got a whole bunch of steers out in your in the in the barnyard and you harvest you shoot one every couple of months to eat beef and you're not doing anything to make more, eventually you run out of steers to shoot. And so we have to fix the problem of producing them long before we talk about not shooting or limiting adult harvest. Yeah. I think the thing that's freaked me out the most in our show with Raina uh two weeks ago was the the hen to poult ratio is less than one now it's like a point yeah. eight and it's so terrible. when a hen can't even replace herself throughout her lifespan not even annually but throughout her lifespan uh, that doesn't sound like a good thing to me I'm not a no. mathematician but eventually you business. get yeah eventually it's you get business. to zero it's a dying business right yeah so, yeah, yeah I mean, it's definitely, th- and, you know, they're doing some studies that she talked about these backpacks and sounds cool, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about the studies to know what they're going to gather from those in a few years. Um, but I mean, doing what you do, you see the habitat change and she talked about it in the show from the eighties till now, the landscape in our state and a lot of states has vastly changed. Um, yeah. From I, I'm to the point where it's like I'm I'm researched out. We know what the problem is. Let's fix it. Let's use our dollars and go and fix it rather than let's research, research. Sooner or later it's like we know we know, we get it. We know what the issue is. We have to put on put that put that research on the ground and fix the problem. Yeah. And, I, and and guys, that right there, if you're looking for a loop it all the way back to what the topic is, that's where I'm here. That that's how I've made it to this point where Way to bring if it I back, don't... right back to the topic. Well done, Adam. <laughs> yeah, that is an experienced podcaster right there. <laughs> you, t- you chase a lot of rabbit trails over on ours, and so you're always looking for a way to loop back. But and that's wh- that's where we're at. Is um, you know, I I live my teenage years and early twenties talking about the decline of the of the bobwhite quail, and here I am now. We're talking hardcore about the decline of the wild turkey, and it's like you know. It would have been nice to live out my 20s and 30s and 40s of just filling tags and putting deer on the wall, but that's not the time. Uh, we can't be that anymore. We have to be more conservation-minded, and we have to think. Now, here's the great thing, and and I and I'm kind of I haven't even talked about this on our own podcast, but the wonderful thing that I see occurring is that there's more people talking about native landscapes for white-tailed deer. There's more people talking about things to do for the wild turkey and things to do for the quail. And at the end of the day, there's a few variances, but it all really is the same. Early successional plant communities, removing invasives, disturbing the landscape with fire or thinning timber, um, just trying to make a diverse landscape. And so if a guy focused solely on quail, he could have giant bucks. If a guy focused solely on turkeys, he could have giant bucks. If a guy focused solely on giant bucks, he'd probably still help the quail. If he understood it correctly, it wasn't just feeders and minerals and food plots. 
spots. If he was like, no, I need to work on my natives, he'd probably improve it for the quail and turkeys as well. And I think in 2021, as we move forward over the next several years, if we get more guys on board with saying, okay, I, you know, maybe, maybe we do bring the guys that are just looking to kill the biggest deer in town and win the big buck contest. But as, as long as we can get him on board with disturbance and, and, and doing some more landscape management, at the very least, we know we're doing we're doing good, even though his idea or his goal is different than ours. The process that we're doing is about the same. Yeah, that's that's one thing I was thinking about asking was, you want better deer on your property? I would have to imagine that would help other animals as well. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm I'm sure deer and turkey aren't using the exact same things, exact exact same features, and all those things. But if you're making a better habitat for animals you're making a better habitat for animals that was always my thought and uh yeah sounds like it's pretty pretty true some of the biggest differences i would say is um when we're looking at trying to create bedding for a mature buck i like to have higher stem count lots of woody structure which is probably a few years too dense for a for quality nesting for a for a turkey but if I'm just if I'm using prescribed fire, that's a wonderful thing about our state. So we can burn pretty regularly and don't have to go through excruciating government legislation to make it happen. Um, Lord help us! I hope we never get there. <laughs> um, and so we can just disturb it. Use some of our north and east slopes to have more high stem count for for mature bucks. Then that's going to be fine. Um, the wonderful thing is brood rearing habitat is the same as native summer forage for white-tailed deer. So I think if we can just get more guys burning and thinning some timber and removing invasives, at the end of the day, giant deer can show. Would have been a good idea to do it my spot this year. Burn? Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, show you. I'll show you. Let's just talk uh, for, for the outdoor industry. The last since the nineties, food plots. What are some of the main things been pushed? Food plots, food plots, mineral minerals. feeders. Um, just as in recent years, it's been hinge cutting. Um, but overall, it's been product, 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 product. When really, it's you should talk eight times about natural landscape manipulation or disturbance and two times to use a product if you really want to squeeze everything you can out of that sponge being the potential of your land i was going to show you guys a book um for for you guys it's about about 193 inch buck that we grew in the ozarks Dear Lord. there you go that's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah that's pretty impressive for the ozarks <laughs> yeah and we grew that six acres of food plots about 400 acres that he lived on that we uh-huh. knew of timber cut burning, removing invasives, just getting weeds everywhere. I tell people all the time, if I'm going to be a land manager, I want to be a weed farmer. They always look at you trying to figure out what kind of weed <laughs> you're talking about. But uh, that's what we're focused on. And uh, and if I'm focused on that, I can help my turkeys, help my quail, help my deer, and get everything I want and still know that if I walk away, there's some several years ahead that the wildlife are still going to be thriving that's that's pretty cool I, he makes a great point you think about everything that's pushed and while it's a i mean it's not a bad thing for a deer to have a food plot and mineral and uh different things like feeders um 
I guess they get to eat, but it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like uh, you need a ha- you need a three sixty. You need everything. Right. It's you like having that of box of brownies. Yeah, they they taste good, but eventually the the pack of twelve runs out, and then you're yeah. left with no food. Well, think about it like this: long before, I mean, when did when did uh, mineral feeders and food plots really come out? Sometime in the nineties. Some of them maybe late eighties. White-tailed deer have been long, been here long before the eighties. So they were living off something before we came along. It was like, no, you have to have this to make them survive. And and so for us, it's just like um, really trying to create. To me, I mean, I'm 33, and I hope, Lord willing, uh, I live a long time. But at some point in my life, I want to write a business plan that's like, here's the land. This is what you need to do. At what time of the year you do it, so the next person comes along can see it and be like, "All I have to do is, all I have to do is cruise. I don't have to fix all this. I just cruise." Um, yeah. And and I mean that would be ideal. I uh, don't know if we'll get there. Don't know if it'll happen. Well, but, uh, and you make a good point though. Uh, not not to cut you off. Sorry, but uh, I think that's what sometimes that new person that wants to manage land or be a, a land manager can be intimidating is they just don't know what to do uh, i'm one yeah. of them i i have ideas and i listen to you and i think i can execute things you're talking about and then i'm like well wait what about this and i think that's a lot of it is when you're in that first stages of when you're not adam keith and matt die and you're in those first stages of i i want to stop just killing stuff and i want to start helping those things that i want to kill yeah where you know what do you do to start? And Micah, you were at, you were talking about uh, a question before we started. Yeah, like um, so we got our property. We just we moved on in our stages. We're wanting to grow things. We're wanting to better everything. What are some realistic goals as far? Let's give it like a two year time frame or realistic steps a new person should take. Yeah, you know when they want yeah. to say this is what I want to do now. How do I start? Yeah, uh, and I, that's a great question. Um, what I would say, I tell this to so many guys, and I can make a pretty good assumption here, but for most guys, if they have timber on their place, the worst thing they could do is to not do anything. You're disappointed in and me already. So <laughs> we call it analysis paralysis, and you can analyze it to the point of paralysis to the point where, I mean, if you listen close, you can hear Father Time just tick, 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 tick. And if you hear a whole lot of ticks and nothing has been disturbed, no trees cut, no fire implemented, no invasives removed, it's degrading. We're in a cursed world. The land is degrading with time. And so the last thing I want to see is somebody preserve a place to death. I hate it. That's my big complaint with wilderness and the government landscape is like, that's, it's terrible. Um, It's just, the trees get old, they get overstocked, disease comes in, they die. uh, And then they're just laying on the ground decaying and it's just a horrible thing. So realistic goals. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why people get scared of timber harvesting and, uh, burning and old field management is 
I don't want to mess this up for the next 20 years, which you can. That's okay. You go in and clear cut it. 20 years later, you can tell your work was done. Nature is very, very enduring. And if you go in and you, let's just say there's 2,000 trees in your forest, you cut 1,000 of them, it wouldn't take that much time. And those other trees would have it closed back up. And so for me, realistic, if you go in and you take, because one of the big things we promote is temporary forest openings or bedding thickets. If you go in and you've got 30 acres and you cut out uh, three areas, about an acre where you've just selected low quality timber, cut it all within one month. In fact, within the night, there would be deer there most likely. Within the next day, there would be deer bedded in there. And within the next hunting season, guarantee you, and I don't guarantee a lot of things. In fact, most common answer you get out of me with land and wildlife is it depends. <laughs> but I can almost guarantee you that if you have a place in northern Missouri, central Missouri, southern Missouri, and you go in and you cut in a uh, half acre to an acre and you just, let's just say you flush cut half the trees and you hinge cut half the trees. I can almost guarantee you by the next hunting season, you're going to see deer coming and going and utilizing that far more than a food plot because quality cover is way more important than quality food, in my opinion. And it's way more limited. And so guys in, in crop country where it's just crop fields everywhere or the occasional pasture and you've got woodlots, I'd be in there in those woodlots cutting in some bedding areas, thick, nasty, questioning, is this too thick? No, probably not. Uh, just don't hinge cut everything. <laughs> and, and if you're cutting, I mean, most of the time in a lot of forests, it'd be, it'd be hard to find a forest that has veneer quality timber scattered through it in, in this day and age. Um, so you go in and I, I would bet you that half the trees growing in there are chunky and aren't going to produce a log in the future anyway. So if you could start cutting, if you, I mean, how hard is it? It's a crooked tree. Okay. It's probably not, it's probably not going to be timber value and it's an L. I mean, let's just learn simple tree species, learn the top five in my area and then go, okay, elm, sycamores and, um, maples. I'm going to cut all those in, in these little areas. And I, it's amazing how quickly, how quickly, um, the, the deer use it and turkeys nesting in it. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. And it happens within the night and it happens within the next hunting season for sure. Well, that's, that makes it easy. I'm just going to cut down all the trees where I'm hunting, except for the one I'm in <laughs> the yeah. night before I, I want to kill him and he's dead. No, I, I don't think you were listening <laughs> to what he was saying, but I, uh, I look at it like this. It's like cracking an egg. And if I've got a woodlot crack an egg and all the white is the area that I'm not really cutting a whole lot, but the yolk is where I'm cutting it very densely. And then come October 28th, I'm going to hunt on the downwind side of it. And that's the thing about land management to me and that whole transition is that I do all that. And even if I'm not hunting it, it's young forest. So it's lowering stress levels during late winter, early spring, because woody browse is the number one food source. And so I'm putting more woody browse availability uh, on the landscape during, during this most stressful time for a lot of guys in middle midwest and northern climates yeah um so i'm doing something i'm diversifying the landscape too so it's much better for birds it's much better for turkeys it's much better for woodcocks um all kinds of animals are benefiting because i've added a diversity uh, or a different uh, habitat feature on my farm 
You just, I mean, it's funny how I've never put those things together that I listen to. I mean, I listen to you pre- pretty near every week, and yet yeah. I don't put together on the own my own place that I'm sitting here worried about that Micah knows exactly where I'm talking about. Even this year, I'm sitting there going, I'm, I, I need to be worried about this food plot that I'm trying to get going and, and all this, and I should be worried about doing the cutting that we keep talking about doing that we don't do. Yeah. And well, maybe I'll maybe I'll be smart this year. No, I will be. I'm not going to worry about the food plot. I'm going to stop messing with it because it it never works anyways, and I'm huh. I'm, I'm going to cut. I'm going to do the stuff that we say we should be doing anyway. Plant um, it in the fall or I mean, I don't have my summer food plots planted, but plant in the fall, plant just any I mean, I <clears throat> personally I love perennial clovers, chicories, alfalfa all mixed together. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, uh, how, how many times do I go to a farm and there's food plots there? 95% of the time. How many times do I go there and there's quality cover, quality bedding in the timber? Mm, 95% of the time, it's gone. It's not there. And guys, I mean, it's the number one thing that guys will comment, uh, clients of ours, is like, I had food plots for years. I had deer, a lot of nocturnal bucks, a lot of pass-through and uh, pass-through bucks. Now that I have bedding thick all over the place, deer come here and they stay, and they're here through the remainder of the fall or until I kill them. Yeah, and you know, it, that's where I've found a place that I'm very comfortable and I enjoy because we're doing things that are really helping the deer herd out, but we're also making the hunting a lot better. Yeah, and uh, for a lot of guys, that's it's kind of hard to find those those places where you can have your cake and eat it too. It's just funny I never put two and two together because on an, another farm that I don't hunt anymore, um, <clears throat> I was talking to the guy that now hunts it, and we were just kind of uh, BSing together, and the farm got logged last year. Yeah. And, and he's like, man, it's going to be horrible next year. And I, I sat there and said, dude, I, I really don't think so. I think they're going to love that. Uh, it, it just mm-hmm. opened it up. Um, you know, I guess I, I've not, haven't been there, but I guess they opened up, they basically made these huge tracks all the way back through the timber where, you know, they had to get yep. their equipment back there. And I'm like, I, I would guess those deer are going to use that like a super highway because it's, 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 th- it's just easy. It's fresh soil. It's, um, I, I, I told the guy, I'm not, I'm not a land manager, but I would feel like that might be a really good thing for you this year. Whereas he's worried that it's going to be a bad thing, yet then I can't take that same thought and apply it to the place I'm hunting. It's it's just odd yeah. that you know I never even thought that way, and it, I think that's because yeah. you you have a person that is in the very beginning stages of that transition from killer or hunter to land manager or wannabe land manager. Yeah, and yeah, yeah that's a good start yeah. starting point. Is right there what Adam just told everybody. I mean, listen and, to him right I, there. And I want to answer my question a little more clear for mm-hmm. guys on how quickly can you see this. And you'll see the changes of deer response and wildlife response almost immediately. You'll see it changed. Let's just, like, I, I use the analogy of young forest. That's immediate. Uh, old field where we may take an old pasture and spray out the cool season grass and all of a sudden other weeds grow up. You'll see that within a growing season. You'll see deer change and use that within a one hunting season. Um, ultimately though, I guess the big question is 
are we going to see a change in the overall size of the deer or the numbers of deer? Numbers of deer, you can totally see a change within the first hunting season. Uh, I've seen it personally. I've seen it on clients' properties where you just make your property more sticky. If you have dense cover and as they start shifting around all during fall, moving from place to place, depending on hunting pressure, and they find yours, it's like, wow, this is dense cover. That's what I've been missing. They start sticking around. Um, but seeing the overall size change, it's usually within, a, you know, maybe three plus years. Because think about it this way, is size of bucks is based on three things, age, nutrition, and genetics in that order. So you have to get them old before you'll start noticing a change. And how do you get them old? Stop shooting them or get your neighbors to stop shooting them. So if you have dense cover and have the ability to hold them through the most crucial part of the season to where they're not getting shot, and that two-year-old now made it to three, mm -hmm. or a couple of those two-year-olds made it to three, you can start seeing the change of the overall size of the antlers. I've seen it personally. I mean, that buck that I showed you guys earlier, 193 donuts, product of that. It was a 105-inch, three-and-a-half-year-old, 138-inch, four-and-a-half-year-old, 193-inch, five-and-a-half-year-old. Wow, that's a what huge a jump. jump. Yeah, Gee, he was an eight pointer, eight pointer, mainframe eleven. Unbelievable. Is that making on your, jumps? That, was that on your farm? Was that a, a client's farm? Our, our my farm. Your farm. Yeah, wow. My farm, which only has probably twenty five percent of the general recommendations yeah. done that I would make on clients because the old phrase is the cobbler's kids don't have shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me to get there during the fall or during late winter uh, to work when I'm traveling so much. Yeah. What is the, uh, okay, so, you know, that's that's some of the uh, first steps that a person can take is, you know, a realistic first goal. Focus on the bedding and the the timber instead of the, the food and the, the plots. I think uh, focus on the cover yep. and then focus on the food. It, you build off the cover, then you focus on food. Too many guys focus on food. And they say, well, there are bucks there, but they're all at night. Well, it's because they're coming from three quarters of a mile away because that's where they found quality cover. That's why I think a lot of guys who work on small properties end up having more success than guys that work big properties because the small property guy goes, I'm going to have cover. I'm going to have food. I'm going to have water. I'm going to have multiple types of food. I'm going to have apple trees. I'm going to have all this stuff on his 30 acres when the guy with 200 is like, oh, I've got food plots. I've got one bedding area. When the other guy on the 30 acres has all of it. Yeah. What would be some of the, uh, so you got those first and second steps really is you focus on the bedding and then the food, not, you know, in that yeah. order, not food, food, food. What, yeah. as a, as a person continues down that, that path, you know, maybe that those first two years that they've got a property, they are, they did all their cutting they want. They yeah. got all the trees that's starting to grow up now. What's something else that you know, they can kind of take it over the edge a little bit more? Yeah, so overall, I look at it like this. First, I mean, this is what I, I build plans for on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. is Always focus first on the bedding thickets and the food plots. So I've got those established. Then my next steps would be edge feathering because edge feathering is helping uh, improve my access um, it's helping add more diversity 
but ultimately it's making deer feel more comfortable going into those food plots because there's cover around them. And we use two different ways of edge feathering. And some of it is called closed edge feathering and some's called open edge feathering. And closed is basically improving that edge, but cutting a few trees in a strategic manner parallel with the edge of the food plot to create that barrier that deer aren't going into the food plot on that side. So it helps shrink up big food plots into a, uh, at a, into a layout that allows us to hunt them and get them within range. That's usually the third or fourth step. And then once I do that, like the initial hunting strategy is laid out. I've got dense areas of bedding. I've got quality food plots. I've got edge feathering and my access is good. Now I work off of how to make them overall healthier. And it could be old field management, which is just spraying out a lot of the cool season grasses for you guys in your part of the world. It's either, I mean, I'm going to take an educated guess here and say it's probably tall fescue, but more than likely it's smooth brome grass um, filling in those old fields. And um, they don't provide any food, hardly at all, or cover value, but yet they're everywhere. Uh, so I'd be spraying those and then TSI and or FSI and forest stand improvement or timber stand improvement, depending on if I'm managing to get timber harvest out. And that's going to overall put more cover on the farm, but not in dense areas. So it takes the attractiveness of our bedding thickets away. So it's that summer food because I've opened up the canopy and I've got forbs growing and then there's stump sprouts providing winter food, but it's not so dense yeah. that it's pulling deer and making their patterns scattered again just it's those open air you know like those open forests that you always would picture this majestic deer walking through because it's wide open and you know only a tree every 30 yards scattered trees yeah and even have kind of denser trees but there's still sunlight coming to the forest floor Mm -hmm. and so you've got you know three four foot tall saplings and and forbs growing through it so there's just it's it's not leaf litter it's green vegetation yeah and once I do that, I mean, guys, a, a closed canopy, closed canopy hardwoods produces about 50 to 100 pounds of forage per acre. And an adult deer eats about 2,000 a year. So if you had 200 acres and it was all closed canopy, so let's just say 75 pounds of forage produced, most of that in the form of acorns in the fall, it's not even year round, that's tooth. So I said 200 acres. With closed canopy, that's 15,000 pounds of forage. But you divide that by 2,000, that's seven and a half deer on 200 acres. And that's, I mean, that's so much of our landscape that we see. And if you if you throw it in and say it's all cedars, then that's way less than 50 pounds because it doesn't produce hardly any forage. And so that's one of the huge issues that I'm seeing for guys it's not just about uh, killing big deer. It's about feeding those deer and giving them quality cover. And, oh, by the way, that quality cover, uh, that woodland-type setting that I said, mm-hmm. is not very conducive for predators. They don't like running through dense cover, coyotes especially. So kill two birds with one stone. Perfect. Not every deer uh, – let's, let's see if I can pull this one off. Not every – Deer habitat improvement is a coyote hunt, but it is. <laughs> there you <laughs> Something go. Like that. Uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, to answer, to, to talk about the coyotes too, 
what did coyotes main diet it's not adult deer nope. it's not even fawns it's rodents it's um rabbits and rats and so if you add more of that on the landscape you get more rodents therefore you have buffer prey where coyotes are chasing the rabbits and the rats rather than adult deer that makes a lot of sense yeah i mean those are some good pointers for that that new person that new land land manager like really like us who are uneducated enough to screw things up and you know i I guess you can't really screw things up if you're not doing anything like you were saying it's always degrading but um i think that's that's a big point is if you if you have a property educate yourself on what to do um honestly listen to lake and lake land and legacy that would help you a lot yeah if you (laughs) start number one work your way i don't know what episode you guys are on but and then a lot further than us (laughs) yeah but that I'd would say definitely start at 250. Yeah. 250. Is that when y'all guys got good? Was 250 <laughs> or? Yeah. I think we, we worked out the kinks. <laughs> we got a while to go. Yeah. And you know, it's, I mean, it, it makes sense. Everything you say, it makes sense. But when you're, when you're in the weeds, quote unquote, as a new person that it just got out of that stage of, I just want to kill stuff. So I want to help those things. You know, you can make mistakes and I've been making them for, four years now at this new place I've been hunting where it was mineral, 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 food plot, food plot. I've been, I've been trying to get a food plot to work there for four years in, in the middle of the timber, which is closed canopy by the way, pretty stupid of me. And, and just this last year we talked about, we need to go back in there and, and do some cutting and some, and some opening up of the really thick, nasty areas that, you know, you can't even walk. You can't even potentially walk through with a machete um you know we need to do some work and so if other people out there listening on what where's that transition and where they should go i mean they just got some good pointers there's obviously a lot more than that but uh we only have you know about an hour yeah (laughs) you gotta start somewhere yeah totally and and the last thing like i said last thing you want to do is just not do anything at all um, I see it so much and it's frustrating. I think even if a guy went out and it's like this guy, they listen to this podcast and they say, this guy's completely lost his mind. He's talking all about native plants. I can picture him. He's got a ponytail with rubber bands in the back and he doesn't ever kill any deer. Um, I'm not that guy. Sorry. Um, and I still kill a lot of really good deer and <laughs> If all you did was just go and say, okay, I don't believe half of what he said, but I'm going to try just one thing. Go into your go into your closed canopy hardwoods and select an area where it looks like you don't have a ton of big trees. And you're like, this kind of looks like junky timber. Just cut a half acre and flush cut. And by flush cut, I mean anything from your knee down. Don't sink the bar into the dirt but knee down and then hinge cut a few smaller diameter trees mixed in, make it thick and nasty. And then go back in a week and see if you bump any deer. Yeah. Those trees, I got a question. Those trees that you're, um, you're cutting all the way down. Are you just leaving those there? Are you hauling those out? No, just leave them there. Leave them, drop them, them. drop them and go. I've seen, I've seen so many posts on social media where guys are like, I'm making bedding, and they cut all these trees, and then they drag them off to the side. And what do they do? They throw them in a pile, and they probably don't make it back to burn. And what do they do? They create a house for a predator, for a coyote to den in, or skunk to den in. It's like, you're... If, if I've said one thing uh, 
if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I hate seeing If my sole job was to make game species struggle, particularly turkeys and quail mm-hmm. um, and even deer, the one thing I do is let the forest grow up. I never touch them. I'd let them be closed canopy now to the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'd never burn. I'd never remove invasives. And I'd plant mediocre food plots. And what is that? That's what most of us are doing. It's like if I had the job to make this worse, that's what I do. And that's what people are doing thinking they're making it better. We are succeeding, Micah. Yeah, good we're job. doing real good. <laughs> we are making it worse. <laughs> I thought when you said if there's one thing I hate in this world, you were going to say cedars. <laughs> no, I can't hate on a native, but I can sure gripe about it. It's, yeah. uh, aggressive tendencies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always, before I started listening to you really, you always hear people talk about all oh, these cedar thickets are great. It's it's great for, you know, bedding areas. It's great. They like to get in that cover and, and this and that. And I always thought, oh, man, if you got a bunch of cedars on your property, you're you're golden. And that's not necessarily the case because they do a lot of bad things too. Those short five foot down bushy ones scattered out with some grass mixed in. That's great. But when they get tall and rank and you, it's like stepping in the refrigerator when you go in it, it's, it's past the point of being productive. Mm -hmm. And the only reason the deer probably use it is because it's the best form of cover in the area. Um, A a dense Oak stand doesn't provide that. And so it's like I can't use this as my own. Dr. Craig Harper out of Tennessee used it one time, and so I'll give him the credit. But he said it's just, it's like seeing a, gar- a homeless man eating out of the trash can. Doesn't mean it's a good food source. It just means it's the only food source. And when you see deer bedded in those very dense stands of cedars, doesn't mean it's a good co- it's good cover. It just means it's the only cover. It's what and it's their option. And I have a great example of that. One of my. Uh where we go up north, uh, where we stay at and stuff. He, uh, he, he's a big time farmer. He's got quite a bit of ground and his main area that he hunts is literally 80 acres and then it's majority cedars. And he kills, he kills a huge deer every year, every year he kills huge deer. But if you back up on the overview, there's not much around everything else because yeah. once they get in there they just stay there because that's all they got that's what they've got a while and i mean i'm not gonna yeah. go in and i can't go in and tell him well you need to cut down all them cedars when he's killing 160s <laughs> 170s 180s every year i mean i mean i'm not yeah. gonna you know it'll be like hitting a board it ain't gonna do nothing talking so, to the wall he's not gonna listen yeah 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 yeah. So. yeah and so what i tell a lot of our guys especially like if you clear cut the whole thing yeah deer would certainly change but start thinning them out try to because once they get so dense, they lose their lower needles anyway, and so it's just like it's pointless. I don't, I don't understand the love with it, but um, they smell good. Yeah, they do smell good. <laughs> They're awesome to hunt out of, but yeah, I'd sure cut them. Yeah, I'd start thinning them out for sure. That's cool. Well, man, we could continue picking your brain all night long, and um, you know, go down this this transition road even further. But um, you gave the listener quite a bit of information as especially that person that's just just getting started down this this path of i want to do better for the land which will do better for the animal and yeah i mean mike and i we're we're in that boat i think andy's kind of in that boat we're all we're all wannabe land managers who really 
don't know what to do. So sometimes we either make the wrong decision or we just don't make a decision. And yep. like you said, that's that's one of the worst things to do is to not do anything. So yeah, I've um, seen a 16 inch walnut hinge cut, 16 inch DBH. So very close to being a marketable log. And I looked at it and I thought, whoa, that really hurts. But at the same time, I'm like, at least he cut some trees down. Yeah, at least he did some. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Adam, we appreciate you for coming on, and especially this late at night. Um, before we hop off, why don't you tell everybody how they can uh, get a hold of you all, listen to your show. Uh, if someone is out there interested in, in doing some consult with you, uh, tell them how they can get a hold of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, we're on social media, just Land and Legacy, use the and sign. Um, and we're also on YouTube, and then our weekly podcast is on the nation, just like you guys are. Uh, just search Land and Legacy. Um, if you're interested in our consulting services, we have a website that's landandlegacy.tv. Click the cons- uh, consultation tab, and you'll be directed to an email at info at landandlegacy.tv. Nice. And I can't speak for Matt because I haven't met him yet, but I'm sure he's a nice guy. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but I am going to give you a, a, a thank you. Um, through, let's see here. Over three years ago, you and I had a phone yeah. conversation. Where yeah. you encouraged me to attempt this idea of starting a podcast, yeah, and you know, two years later, uh, I was starting that podcast, and it was it was a good portion of it was the the words of encourage encouragement you gave me at that time um, that helped us kind of I don't know get yeah. brave enough to to try it out finally, and I wrote down every little thing you told me about the pieces of equipment <laughs> you have, and yeah, it, it, so it's. It's it's not coincidental that I've got the exact same recorder as you. Uh, that's because I wrote <laughs> yeah. it down. But um, so I just want to well, say I want to tell you thanks for being such a nice guy and, and yeah. you know talking to some stranger three years ago that you had no idea who I was and I I think I called you and you answered the phone and we we spoke for a good half hour and it's just yeah. some some strange kid that called you. So um, yeah. I want I wanted to tell the listener that story to kind of give them an idea how, how nice of a guy Adam is. And I'm sure Matt's cool too. I just don't know him. So um, <laughs> he's not quite as nice as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not from Missouri, so we'll have to give him a little bit of a break, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, man, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. That was a, uh, I actually remember that phone call. I, I have several people have reached out to me. Dan sends some guys my way and I'm yeah. always like, do it. I mean, what's the worst thing you you figure out a year later and you're like, well, nobody's listening, but you're having fun. I mean, that's the point. And I, and uh, as long as you're consistent with the content, people listen. And when you're putting out awesome content, I mean, my gosh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It encourages you to get outside and go yeah. get more content. I mean, the best thing, I mean, it's probably one of the best things you guys are always hunting, thinking about content, thinking about things you can talk about. You've got all kinds of listeners now, and hopefully they're in, being inspired as well and going to do podcasts. So, yeah. yeah. We're consistently bad, overall, aren't we, buddy? Yeah, I'm we got that down. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we love, you know. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we love listening to guys like you that honestly are just, uh, you and, and Matt, are just, re- you guys know what you're talking about with, with your podcast. Uh, expertise and level of skill when it comes to that stuff we just you know we can bs we can bs <laughs> and, and we love the outdoors and we like talking about it and we always do yeah. so that's kind of why we started yeah. but i thought the listener would like that story but um so you know if you don't 
for some reason, if you're listening to our podcast, you should really already know about Landon Legacy. If you're not, you should definitely go check them out. They're on the same network as us, uh, or you can just search them Landon Legacy on any of the podcast platforms, and they will be there. Um, and if you don't have anything else, Micah, no, I think we're good. Uh, we want to thank Adam again for coming on. And um, if you don't have anything, we're going to hop off. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank bud. All right. Thanks, everybody, for giving that a listen. Hopefully, you guys took something away from it. Uh, we want to say thank you again to Adam for coming on. Uh, and, again, go listen to his stuff if you guys really want to get into it. And, you know, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, you know, you can go out there, cut some trees down, and, you know, see some good results. For the listener that wants to know what podcasters listen to, Land and Legacy is a show that I regularly listen to. Yeah, it's one of my top um, five. It's one of the shows, actually, when I'm doing, like, a long drive for work, I that show, I'll stay more awake when I'm driving because mm-hmm. I do have a problem well, with getting it, tired it, because it, it's, it's there's information in there that makes me think, mm-hmm. and so I stay awake. And mm-hmm. it, it's one of my f- go-to shows when I am on the road driving. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So, yep, thanks, you guys, for listening. And like we said in the intro, if you guys are looking for some camo, go check out Huntworth. Uh, you can get 15%. All you got to do is add MWW15. Yep. So, all right, thank you. Have a good day.